But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from the works prescribed by law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have to say thanks to Katie for that song and Mark for your reading and Bonnie for your children's time. It is a gift to be able to pastor here and have so many fabulous people offering themselves and their God-given talents to worship today. So thank you all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. You've sung that song a hundred times, maybe 200 times, haven't you? It's estimated that Amazing Grace is performed over 10 million times annually. I have no idea how someone came up with that number, but seems likely to me. You know, Amazing Grace is one of those few church songs that you can still sing in a public setting and trust that most people are going to have the words memorized. It's been professionally recorded something like 11,000 times. Even President Obama, you remember, sang it at the eulogy to Reverend Clementa Pickney, who was killed in the mass shooting at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. It was written, that song, written by John Newton in 1773. And Newton spent his youth, you may know, his youth and his young adulthood as a seaman and later a captain on slaving ships. He helped move captured Africans from Africa to the New World, condemning them and their descendants to the harshest life of bondage. If you've never read anything about those journeys, about the Middle Passage, I want to encourage you to educate yourself. It is simply horrific what human beings can do to one another. Newton had a tumultuous life himself. He eventually, eventually came to detest and speak out against the slave trade, but it took him a long time to get there. He converted to Christianity in 1748, and then he kept working on slaving ships for another six years. 
He didn't write that song, Amazing Grace, until 1773, 25 years after he converted to Christianity. And he didn't speak out against the horrors of slavery. He didn't speak out publicly until 1788, close to his death. I I just don't want you to think that it was an instant conversion he had from being a devil to being a saint. I find that life rarely works that way anyway. But yet, along the way, he gifted the world with this amazing song, a song that encapsulates for us beautifully this central tenet of the Christian faith, that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. And we're taking a few weeks here to talk about the amazingness of God's grace. And we're doing it through the particular lens of United Methodism and the teachings of John Wesley. Now, interestingly, John Wesley and John Newton, they weren't quite contemporaries in 18th century England. John Wesley was about 20 years older. But Newton ended up a clergy person in the Church of England, which was a denomination that wanted nothing to do with John Wesley by the end. But no doubt their lives overlapped And Wesley's teachings, his writings, his sermons would have been available, and I would guess known to Newton, even as he ministered. And we're talking about God's grace, about how it's with us from birth to death. And and as United Methodists, we talk about it in a three-part movement that we label prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. Prevenient, justifying, sanctifying. Last week, we talked about prevenient grace, about the grace that goes before, the grace that precedes us, the grace that's active in our lives before we even have a relationship with God. God's prevenient grace, Wesley said, you'll remember, is like hanging out on the porch of a house. Prevenient grace is when we're on the porch. Last week was prevenient grace. Can anyone guess what this week is about? I'm listening. Come justifying grace. That's right. You got it. Justifying grace. Justifying grace. Well, today we read the scripture from the book of Romans, and in that passage we move from the porch through the doorway into God's saving and everlasting embrace. We step over the threshold, we could say. That's the move for today. Stepping over the threshold through the doorway into the house, and it is a tremendous grace of God that the door is even open to us at all. That's justifying grace. Justifying grace. It's what we call it, and it's God's action. It's God's move. It's God doing what comes to and bringing it to us without us deserving it or bringing it about or earning it in any way. That's what makes it grace, right? It's God's gift. Comes to us without price, without merit. It is God giving. And what God gives as we step into that doorway of salvation, God gives the gift of making things right making them right. That's why we call it justifying grace. It makes things right. It's like lining things up so they fit back together. Like you can think about justifying words on a page so they're all lined up. It's about making things right, like saying someone act in a justified way, right? Someone who's justified is free from punishment, free from consequences because they were justified. So justifying grace makes things right between us and God, and we need that. We all need that, because in case you forgot, we are all pretty much screw-ups. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. 
When I was growing up, the senior pastor in my home church had a lot of unconventional ideas. That's kind of an understatement, actually. But anyway, one of the things that he insisted on was changing the words to this first verse of the great hymn. He asked us all to sing and all voice to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved someone like me. Someone. He hated that word wretch. He, he said, nobody's a wretch. To him, that was a word that meant somebody was worthless. Somebody was dispensable. Someone could just be cast aside. And he really wanted to emphasize the value of every human being. He wanted everyone to feel their worth and their dignity. He wanted everyone to remember that they are unique and unrepeatable. You are unique and unrepeatable, loved and cherished by God. See, he knew too many people who had been told that they were no good, that they were wrong, that they weren't worthy. Too many people who had been told they were wretched and that they were not loved. And it meant he could not stand to sing that word wretch in the song. So, all the time I was growing up, we all dutifully sang that saved someone like me. Even now, 35 years after hearing George explain why he hated that word wretch, I can sympathize with his logic. I, mean, I want people to know, I want you to know your inherent worth, that you are loved, that you are valuable, but here's the problem. We are all also really wretched sometimes. I mean, even the best among us have some really terribly selfish moments. We all have things we've done that were just wrong. We've all hurt people. We've all chosen to ignore the loving thing and, and done the easy thing instead, or the convenient thing, or, or the thing that helps us instead of helping someone else. We've all been harsh in our words and our judgments, our thoughts. We've all screwed up more than once. And if you are sitting there thinking, yep, not me, Amy, I'm, I'm pretty clean here. Let me just invite you to be brave enough to ask your friends and family <laughs> to give you an honest take about the moments you're difficult to live with. I think they probably have something to tell you. Even if we look beyond our own small daily screw-ups, if we look at humanity as a group or as as, as a collective group, we've got a really bad track record, you guys. I mean, the slave trade that John Newton was involved in, that's a key one. We murdered hundreds of thousands. We tortured millions of others just to make plantation owners rich. And in the U.S., when we stopped having slaves, well, which only took the bloodiest war in our nation's history to accomplish, we replaced it with lynching and Jim Crow segregation for another hundred years or so. We're still working ourselves out of the consequences of all that. Or we could take the Holocaust as a prime example of our collective wretchedness. Six million people dead simply for being Jewish. Or the continuous crushing poverty and homelessness that we tolerate for so many of our neighbors. Or the way we sideline those struggling with mental illness or disabilities. Or the collective sexism that keeps women's work from being valued equals to men. Or I, I could go on giving examples all day long of our collective sins. We are real good at being wretched. As much as is good and true and beautiful about human beings, there is also a lot that is hard and wrong and broken. And here's the thing. We can't fix it ourselves. We can't fix it. 
not our individual screw-ups, not our collective sins. We can't. Not by the sheer force of will. We can't fix the damage we've done or the wrongs we've created. We can't by ourselves put ourselves back on the path of goodness and wholeness and peace that God desires for us. We just can't fix it ourselves. So the Apostle Paul tells us God stepped in to fix it for us. Though the problem was ours, though the sin was of our doing, God decided to act and make things right. God decided to reset the score, to wipe the slate clean, to fix the relationship. God has decided to justify us, to mend what was broken, to make things whole. And why would God do that? Bonnie told us in the children's time, because God so loved the world, because God so loved us. This is how deep is God's desire to see us live in wholeness and peace, that God is willing to fix it. God sees our wrongs. God sees our mistakes. God is so wounded by our sins, our turning away from God and God's ways, but yet God sees it and is willing to cover over it all so that we are back in right relationship with God. And the eternal penalty is erased. How? Well, this is the saving work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In Christ, God was putting the world right, offering justifying grace. Paul said it in our reading today, For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This mending, this reconciling, this justifying, this is God's most amazing gift to us, pure, undeserved, unearned grace born of God's love. And what do we have to do to receive it? We just have to receive it in faith. God offers and we take it. We just have faith in the power and the purpose of Jesus and the gracious gift of justification. We have faith, and it's ours. That's it. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious was that grace appeared the hour I first believed." Justifying grace is this moment that we realize both the depth of our sin, our inability to fix it, and the realness of God's love for us that will wipe the slate clean. It's a moment of walking through the door, over that threshold, from the porch, into the house, walking through the door, into the eternal embrace of God. You know, and for some people, that happens in a crystal clear moment. They can tell you the day, they can tell you the time, they can tell you the setting, they can tell you who they were with, the moment they realized God's love was real and perfect and could make them whole. The Apostle Paul had a moment like that, right? It was so powerful to him, God's grace, that moment of realization that it seemed like a blinding light that struck him down in the middle of the road. Or a former bishop of ours has a story about realizing the depth of God's justifying grace while he was hitchhiking through Tennessee and a trucker made God's love real to him in a way that his own preacher father never had. If you have a story like that, a clear moment in your life when you believed in God's grace, you knew your sins were forgiven and your destiny was eternal life with God, then that is awesome. And I encourage you to hold tight to that story, cherish it, because God works in amazing ways. 
But you know, some of us, maybe many of you, many Christians, they don't have a moment when they can recall consciously walking through the doorway of God's justifying grace. It's more like we look around and say, wait a second, I'm already in the house. How did I get here? I don't even remember walking through the door. And that's fine. That is totally fine. It's more than fine. Sometimes God works in a flash, and sometimes God works in a slow, deliberate way. That might have started when we were so young, we couldn't even fully understand what God was up to. Sometimes our realization about God's grace comes in this instant, and our whole life changes. And sometimes our understanding of God's grace comes little by little, until one day we say, oh, oh. This is amazing, and it's been true for so long, I don't even remember a time when it wasn't true for me. And either way, we can be grateful for the gift of God's amazing grace. Now, however, I just want to say, if you're sitting here watching this sermon and you're thinking, you know, I'm I'm never sure I really got this before. I'm not sure I ever stepped over the threshold of that doorway. I didn't realize that God meant to fix everything. That that God loved me so much to wipe away all my wrongs, to cover over all my doubts, to release me from all my fears. If you haven't ever had a moment when you knew that God's love was real and full and for you, well, let, let this be that moment. I said earlier that's all that is required to get across the threshold is taking hold of God's grace that's right there, offered out to us always by God. And so if you are ready to do that today and you never have before, then then just make this your moment. Tell God, tell God right now that you're ready for the grace that God wants to give. Tell God that you want your slate wiped clean, that you want your heart restored, that you want to be covered over by God's love and grace. Give your heart to God right now now and trust trust in god's goodness and the goodness of all that's to come now if we were all here together in the room i'd have an altar call and i'd have you come on down and kneel right here at the chancel but we're not together so if this is that moment for you just call me i would love to pray with you one other thing that i want to say about god's amazing grace amazing, justifying grace, is that it's available to everyone. I want to remind us all of that, because we who have received it can be a little possessive of it, but God, God's willing to give it to everyone. I mean everyone. (laughs) No pre-qualifications at all. There's no screw-up, no mistake, no sin too big for God to forgive. There is no sin too big for God to forgive. There is no human too broken for God to accept. There is no limit at which God says, oh, that one's irredeemable. No. The doorway to God's kingdom is open to everyone. Everyone. And I have to say this because religious people have always struggled with this wideness of God's grace. From the day of Jesus right up to now, we struggle to accept all the people that God will let into the house. Luckily, we don't get to decide who comes in with us. I want to encourage you to take a moment today to thank God for the gift of God's amazing grace. Maybe go and find one of those 11,000 professional recordings. I'm sure most of them are on YouTube. Listen to it and sing along. Just 
just have a moment of celebration or take a moment to pray in gratitude for the gift of God's grace and the love of God that will not let you go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. May it fill us with hope and healing today. Amen.